Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Jerome Osentowski, author of The Forest Garden Greenhouse, to talk about his experience with agroforestry and permaculture. Jerome has spent the last 30 years developing indoor and outdoor forest farming technology at his location in Basalt, Colorado. He is the founder and director of the Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute dedicated to education, research, and demonstration. They can be found at crmpi.org. He is also the author of The Forest Garden Greenhouse, How to Design and Manage an Indoor Permaculture Oasis, published by Chelsea Green in the fall of 2015. Welcome to the show today, Jerome. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this interview with you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, we, as I point out in the book, we started as market farmers back in the oh. uh, late 
80s and uh-huh. early 90s. I think we grew salad grains and herbs for the farmer's market and and for the restaurants in Aspen. Uh-huh. And we had a very successful run at that. But after about 15 years, we actually lost our markets because the California growers came in and, and pushed us out of the market. And we were ready, and the land was ready to do something different. Uh, we and, and, and I should have been doing permaculture <laughs> way ahead of that time, uh-huh. way ahead of that schedule. And I kept putting it off. I kept putting planting perennial polycultures in all of my uh, one acre of annual gardens. I can remember pulling up apricot seedlings and throwing them in the compost. I mean, that that's a, that's a cardinal sin, you know, for a permaculture. Oh, oh, yeah, no kidding. Yes, and I mean, if I, and I have 20 apricot trees right now. Some of our seedlings that were, you know, volunteered next right. to the fence line, and you now those are the ones that, you know, stayed. Uh, but, you know, it took us, you know, a while to to wake up and realize mm-hmm. that we needed to start doing forest gardening, even though there were books out there and I was already teaching design courses. Uh-huh. But we just took our time doing the conversion. And then, you know, gradually, we, you know, we started just filling up all of our terraces with apple gills, pear gills, cherry gills, all, with all the nitrogen-fixing support plants and, and the understory of medicinal plants and comfrey and midstory of currants and gooseberries. And, and, and now it's a 25-year-old you know, food forest. Wow. And it's featured in many books. Uh-huh. And Chelsea Green came along and, and asked us to do an indoor forest garden because we were doing the same thing indoors with our 5,000 square foot of greenhouses. Wow. Uh, we had a tropical greenhouse, we had a Mediterranean greenhouse, and we have two or three warm temperate ones. So since other people were writing books on forest gardening, and I never got around to doing that mm-hmm. until coming up, uh, we, Chelsea Green wanted us to write one on indoor forest gardening. And that's what the book is all about. Wow. Uh, that came out about almost a year ago now. Yeah. And uh, it came out in November. Right. And it's already in its second printing. So wow. That's Congratulations, kind of our, by the way. Um, you know, our aha moment yeah. when we decided that we needed to start walking the talk and put in a, a food forest. Wow. So I have a couple of questions for you, terms that you used already in your introduction. I'd kind of like you to kind of tease them apart a little bit. Uh, And for anybody that's in permaculture, I did my first permaculture design course 25 years ago. But for my guests that are in permaculture, I always ask them, what what is your definition of permaculture? Well, you're putting me on the spot there, aren't you? (laughs) A little bit. But you have been yeah. teaching it for a very long time. Oh, I've been I've been hosting the design course for for 35, 30 years coming up this year. Wow! And well, my definition is you know the way it ought to be, and that's the billboard when you go into Maine. Okay. Um, that's a very simple uh, definition, but ah. it's a design system yeah. where everything works in connection. Everything is connected. All the elements are connected. Our food production system, our animals. Our access, mm-hmm. our greenhouses, our houses, they're all connected, so they all support each other. And um, that's basically what we created here in our, in our demonstration site here on uh, one acre, basically. Uh-huh. We're doing most of this on one acre. Wow. So we have a passive solar home with a power plant on it, a 6.3 kilowatt. We have an attached 
big greenhouse that's Mediterranean with pomegranates. We have mm-hmm. a freestanding tropical greenhouse wow. uh, with a sauna, uh-huh. a workshop, a dance studio on top of the, the workshop. And then all of the elements are connected and it's net zero, basically. Oh, wow. And then the forest garden uh, surrounds all of that with uh-huh. a pond, and all of that's integrated. And wow. uh, we use gravity feed water systems, mm-hmm. and all of the energy is generated on the place or comes down from the mountain. Right. We use carbon farming as our way of building soil, so we take all the recycled material that we find in the town and mm-hmm. turn it into rich worm castings through run it through the animals and then put it in our pathways and worm farm it and then it goes into our nursery or goes onto our beds so this using that organic loop closing uh-huh. that organic loop is right. what i think permaculture is about wow wow you're using too, way too many great terms so the next one perennial polyculture Yes. Can you say a little bit about what that is? Well, it's a food forest. Uh-huh. Uh, a ah. Forest gardening is perennial polycultures, mm-hmm. multi-story perennial plants, starting from an overstory. Could be your uh, full-size apple tree. Mm-hmm. You would come down and have some medium-sized nitrogen-fixing trees, then you would have maybe a vining element crawling up on top of those nitrogen-fixing trees, and you'd have some gooseberries and currants in the mid-story and elderberries, and then you come down, you could have some medicinal herbs uh, as ground covers, like mm-hmm. the astragalus, and in the tropical greenhouse, we have spirulina or spilanthes. So you're filling in all the niches, and if along the fence lines, you're doing vertical planting, stacking. So everything... When you go into a forest, it's not one-dimensional. Uh-huh. It's multi-dimensional. Yeah. When we create our food forests, we want to fill in every square inch. And wherever there's some sunlight, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put a plant we'll in there and clean it. Yeah. Or it'll go up into where that sunlight is. Wow. Um, and basically, it fills in the space on its own. Uh-huh. Sometimes so, you have to cut things back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take the mine. Uh, like our fig tree, we have to cut it back uh, 50% every year, and, and it grows back again and fruits again. And uh, Same with all of our, pretty much all of our trees. We don't do a lot of pruning outside. Uh-huh. We train our trees from the very beginning to be minimal pruned, sort oh, of right. like Masanova Fukuoka did. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Does that get to the point there? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So you mentioned a term that I've not heard before. It makes sense to me, though, but I'd like you to explain it a little bit. You said carbon farming. Yes. Can you explain and that a little that, bit? Yes. Eric Tornemeyer was an intern here in the 90s. He uh-huh. was you know, cutting salad greens for us, and when we were first starting to put our forest garden together, he helped with the installation of that. And he, he sort of got his start in permaculture here. Right. And he's gone off to write several books, one with David Jackie on forest gardening. Uh, he wrote Perennial Vegetables, and he, pro- he wrote another book called uh, Paradise Lot. And he's recently just come out with a book with Chelsea Green with Carbon Farming. Uh-huh. And basically, that's what we do here. We take carbon, we value at it, and turn it into really rich soils mm-hmm. with polycultures. 
And in his book, he talks about the different agroforestry technologies all over the world that are working that are sequestering carbon. And so that's the kind of framework that he constructed to feature as a theme for his book, which instead of a bunch of techniques that are kind of out there and people uh-huh. are doing them, right. you put them all under the umbrella of carbon farming, which oh, is a very nice. smart way to do that because then you can get someone's attention at higher levels. Uh-huh. They can say, wow, all these things work. They've been working. We can see some examples. Let's start doing this. Let's start funding these kinds of projects. And that was his motivation, I think. I've talked to him on the phone, and actually we're going to be interviewing him on, on our radio show. Oh, nice. Next week. Um, so that's a major book out there, uh, and, uh, and and it could be a textbook for an agroforestry school, which we uh-huh. hope to start. Nice. And we use that book along with David Jackie's book and some other books that are out there from Echo uh-huh. down in Florida as textbooks for our agroforestry school. But that's carbon farming. And most permaculture people, practitioners, use carbon farming. They just right. maybe don't even know they do it. Exactly. Exactly. When you're, when you're lasagna gardening and when you're doing hookah culture, uh-huh. you're carbon farming. Yeah. And if you're doing perennial polycultures, you're doing carbon farming. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So we got you here today to talk about your book, The Forest Garden Greenhouse. Can you tell us about your book? Well, it walks through my entire history of growing first in annuals outside and in, indoors. Right. Market farming. And that back starting in the mid 80s. And then it progresses all the way up and it covers the, the, the fire we had in one greenhouse that burned it down. And then we rebuilt that greenhouse with recycled steel and, and up to where now we're doing. Uh, we have a, a business called Ecosystem Design, mm-hmm. where we have uh, a design system, design company that that designs greenhouses, large greenhouses and small greenhouses, attached greenhouses, uh, all all kinds of greenhouses from uh-huh. all over the world. Actually, we have some in Uzbekistan, Italy, wow, Canada, and Finland. We've been doing that for about twenty years now, almost, mm-hmm. and. The book um, features all of our greenhouses and our experience on the climate battery technology that we developed here. Right. Uh, the climate battery is, I call it Polish geothermal, because I, I helped pretty much develop it from the very beginning here. Right. With a few other people that were helping us. Uh, if you can envision taking the warm air in the greenhouse, mm-hmm. all winter long or in the fall and pumping it down into the soil Ooh. with plants and plentums and four inch pipes uh-huh. perforated and so all that heat and moisture goes into the soil down to five feet in some of our greenhouses and it comes out cool and dry so it's like a big heat pump I, 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 I think of it as it's this big hot breath coming in right. all day long during the hot if, during the hot period of the year. Yes, and then at night, there's another setting on the thermostat that will kick. And say when it gets down to 50 degrees, uh-huh. the same fan kicks on and pulls that 50 degree air down into the soil that's 70 degrees and right. warms it up about seven to 10 degrees. Wow! So 
it's it's like a battery in your car. You're driving along during the daytime without your lights. Uh huh. You're charging the battery. The alternator is charging the battery, and at night you need some uh, lights. So you turn on your light switch, and yeah, you are, voila, you have you have lights. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're doing with the with the climate battery. And we have industrial size ones. We use them for cooling as well. Uh huh. They cool as well as as store heat because right. if you're taking that warm air out of the greenhouse, uh-huh. you're lowering the temperature of the greenhouse and you're cooling it. So it actually has two functions. In permaculture, remember, we never just do one thing. Oh yeah. We have multiple functions for a single element. Mm-hmm. So that climate battery takes the humidity out. It cools the greenhouse. It stores the the BTUs in the soil for later. Uh, it actually creates a warm atmosphere for right. the roots of the plants. Oh, of course it does. So, so my fig tree, it's in seventy degree soils all all winter long. Even though oh it's in gosh. a a detached greenhouse, it doesn't have any auxiliary heat. Right, and it can go down to twenty degrees, seventeen degrees, and the the fig tree is dormant. <clears throat> Above the ground, right? There are no leaves on it. It never gets any tip burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could freeze in there, but it never. And the pomegranate is the same way. The right. olive is the same way. The Pakistani mulberry, the rosemary. None of those things feel any of that twenty degree temperature mm-hmm. because they're sitting in warm soils. Right. So that's that's really a, a, another little benefit from yeah. the climate battery yeah wow and you so that's what you named it you named it the climate battery uh, it used to be called the subterranean heating and cooling system uh-huh. that was john crookshanks uh he was one of uh, an inventor that helped us he did the sunny john composting toilets he invented that and he was here uh he took his work work he did his design course here and he stayed on to teach and help me develop the climate battery. Nice. And then we did several climate batteries independently. And then he worked with my architect partner, Michael Thompson, uh-huh. to take it to a whole other level. Uh, but it all started here at Crimpy with a very simple climate batteries. And we have climate batteries in all of our greenhouses. Nice. So you mentioned an international agroforestry school. Can you tell us more about that? That's really interesting me well i've been involved in teaching and installing you know perennial polycultures i did a a a two-acre demonstration farm in nicaragua down in in the 90s Uh we worked sandinistas right after they were pushed out of the government and Uh uh we we kept that going for about 10 years and i've always been interested in tropical agroforestry and that's why i started planting tropical plants in my greenhouse. So I, and also recently I just did a, a workshop in Mexico where we had 25 people doing an agroforestry workshop on a 10 acre parcel down there, uh, trying to set up an alley cropping demonstration uh, farm. And with Eric Torrenmeyer's new book on carbon farming, right? I, I'm really more inspired now is to take this to a level where we have lots of really good volunteers from the wolfing circuit. Oh, yes. And they're great, they don't, but they can only stay on a farm for a few weeks or a month or two, yep. and it's hands-on experience, but I'd like to craft a curriculum uh-huh. 
in agroforestry and get funded set up three or four satellite campuses. Mm-hmm. Could be in Hawaii, oh. one could be in Mexico where we have connections, one could be working with Fort Myers Echo, uh-huh. and one here doing temperate agroforestry. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's our next big push. Nice. Is to set, set up the school because I like to do something. I like to be in the tropics in, in the wintertime yeah. doing yeah, agroforestry. Exactly. Doing, yeah. Um, I like to crack open a coconut, stick a straw in it, have a <laughs> few papayas. Um, and, you know, I like to work in the tropics in the wintertime. Yeah. So explain to us what agroforestry is, would you? Well, there's so many different techniques of that. That's kind of the over the all-encompassing nomenclature for different techniques. There's uh-huh. silviculture, there's alley cropping, uh-huh. there's um, carbon, uh, there's there's all kinds of different variations right. on that. Uh-huh. Forest gardening is is an agroforestry technique. Uh, okay. Coppice is, a, is an agroforestry technique. Got it. Uh, there's so many different variations on, on, forest, on agroforestry. It's really a, a combination of agriculture and forests uh-huh. and making those two work together. Perfect. So they're both mutually beneficial for yeah. the land and for for the people who are working the systems. Wow, sounds like what we do, huh? They're resilient, too. Yeah. So like alley cropping, instead of doing sl- slash and burn, uh-huh. you're going to put these permanent nitrogen-fixing trees on the contour, uh-huh. and you're going to manage those. Uh, you can coppice them. If you use Inca or Lucayena, Lucerna, you can coppice those every year and get some firewood from them. Uh-huh. You can get seed. You mm. can get fodder for animals. You can get mulch. You're fixing nitrogen for the alleys in between them. And then you can grow your agricultural crops perennially or permanently on the same land without burning the forest next door uh-huh. and just leaving this land go fallow and it goes weedy again and then maybe 10 years back down the road they'll come back and burn it again but this is an opportunity for subsistence farmers to stay on the same piece of land uh-huh. and it works there are projects all over the world and we need to be teaching this at schools and universities but it's not happening yeah so what we want to do is start a school and get a demonstration farm mm-hmm. on the ground so people can come and kick the tires See, that's why people come here. I just did a tour this morning from some people from North Carolina. Oh, nice. And they actually picked up my book at Echo. And, you know, they want to come here and see what it looks like. Right. 20-year-old fart. They want to come in and see the greenhouses where the bananas are hanging down and the jujubes and, uh-huh. and citrus is on the vine in a greenhouse in Colorado. They want to go outside and see 200 varieties of apple stone fruits. Uh, you know. Wow. Everyone's partly from Missouri, right? Uh-huh. Show me, the show me state. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, and, you know, you can read about it in a book, but it's another thing to come and experience it. I, I was, one of my questions was going to be, can we come and see it? Because you're, as you're talking about it, it's like, oh, man, I want to see this place. Well, you can watch some videos. It's going on our website. Yep, all right, perfect. Uh, you can do that. And we right, have cool. a little TV show now, and we have a radio show. 
when we talk about agroforestry and, and, and permaculture. Uh, if you go on our, our website, uh, crmpi.org, and you can link to uh, K and K, and there are, we have grassroots TV that Perfect. Uh, features uh, us, and we're mm-hmm. doing different farms in the valley here. Nice. Uh, every month we feature a different farm. So nice. we'll have about six or seven farms through the summer that we'll feature. Visit. Stephanie, Stephanie and I are my, is my co-host, uh-huh. and we'll, we went to the dairy at Sustainable Settings. We went to Casey's Tomato Farm uh, last uh, month, and, mm-hmm. and that's already up. Uh, we did two wow. two shows here at Crimpy, one in the greenhouse and one outdoors. Fantastic. So, um, but and we have a bunch of other videos out on YouTube about worm farming and uh, forest gardening and everything. So, perfect. There's a lot of stuff you can see, uh, but you can also come here and do a workshop. Uh-huh. We have an academy coming up uh, in July. Uh, you can go on our website to see that. Okay. And uh, we have a, a four-day intensive on forest gardening and a four-day intensive on greenhouses and then we have a two days on aquaponics and two days on water catchment nice and then we have our in august we have our 30th pdc i was gonna i was gonna ask you about that because that's a pretty outstanding thing you you offer a permaculture design course there that's a 72 hour design course where people can dive in and really learn permaculture and you have yours starting in August, and it's the 30th anniversary? You've, yes. You've offered it 30 times in a row. I bet nobody else has done that. Not that we're the longest-running permaculture class in the world, yeah. Wow. In one consecutive place. Yeah. Congratulations. That is phenomenal. Uh, and we're going to have a big party um, after that, and uh-huh. um, a little celebration, and that'll be my... Um, I'll, in September, I'll be 75, so oh. I'm, you know, have a little you know, birthday party, early birthday party at that time. And Happy early birthday. <laughs> living living uh, in a food forest and living in and having 5,000 square foot of greenhouse, you know, in the high Rocky Mountains, uh-huh. uh, is cheating a little bit, you know. Uh, <laughs> life isn't so bad up here. Yeah. It, you know... It's a mess just about every. This is our. This is an arc. Yeah. And we talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, our tropical greenhouse is like an arc. Right. You know, it has a sauna. It has a, a great place with a hammock and shaded pergola and passion fruit hanging over. It has wow. night blooming jasmine. It has an archery range in it. It has a sleeping platform. Wow. An aquaculture tank. Uh, it just goes and a GOT machine. It just goes on and on. It's like, it's it's what you need to have. Yeah. Uh, every place needs uh, an ark or someplace where you can go in the middle of yeah. wintertime and, and chill out and warm up. And your bones warm up because you're in a tropical greenhouse. Yeah. And did you have a hot tub in there too? No, it's outside actually oh. on the deck. <laughs> oh, very um, good. Those snorkel hot tubs, yes. And we can, it's, it's next to the... Uh, Woodworking workshop, uh-huh. and yeah, that, that's another thing we we fire up as well. Wow, wow, how fun! You could have one of those in a greenhouse. That yeah, would, that would that would be handy. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to shift a little bit here on you, and I'd like to for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, 
you know, we did have an incident where one of our greenhouses burnt down. Uh-huh. It was a that. homemade greenhouse. It had a really funky sauna that was wooden construction, and it was evidently a mouse had laid uh, a, a nest in the, the flue, and oh. on the first year, it actually burned the, the greenhouse down. It was 60 feet. Uh, oh it gosh. was very uh, destructive and almost burned my house down, and I was 67 at the time, and I really wasn't ready to to do something, you know, to rebuild at that time. And uh-huh. um, I finally, I after a week or two, I finally got myself together, and you know, my partner uh, Michael Thompson, uh, we actually had taken another greenhouse down and stored it, and uh-huh. with the hopes of putting it up in Carbondale uh, as a community greenhouse right. and no one wanted to do that. So we had this huge greenhouse that we, uh, metal greenhouse trusses and posts that, um, that we took a third of that and redesigned it on a new footer, but in the same envelope over the old greenhouse and I built Phoenix, which is featured in my book. Yeah. Um, so we used new technology new climate battery fans, new addition climate battery, polycarbonate, insulated north and west walls, all the things that I couldn't have done with the old greenhouse. Uh So the greenhouse, the the fire was a a, a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those things that, you know, if you can overcome it, something really good comes out of it. And And that greenhouse now is the prototype for our greenhouse consulting business. Wow. People come and they kick the tires on that and they say, well, you build us one of these or a variation on this. Uh-huh. And so we, it's really good to have, a, it's like a car dealer. He has a <laughs> Maserati on the floor, right? You know, you're yeah. standing there, you sit in the leather seat and you start to, you know, feel like you own it, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So that's what's good about the, the new greenhouse and the uh-huh. opportunity to bring it from ashes again. That's why yeah. we call it Phoenix. That mm-hmm. we had, uh, the other greenhouse was called Pele, and that's the uh, you know god of fire. And then oh. we <laughs> picked ourselves up, and it wasn't just the recycled steel. We got a lot of community support. We oh, had some yeah. foundation support. We got a good settlement from the insurance company mm-hmm. and put all that together and it was like a barn raising so we got the greenhouse back up in a year wow after cleaning it up and uh, it was two years total but that that was kind of my biggest uh, challenge yeah truly a, a, in my life yeah truly from the ashes yes yeah perfect so what do you consider your biggest success well, maybe writing the book, uh-huh. uh, getting the book out, because it's it was a very long, tedious, drawn-out process. Mm-hmm. I am not a writer. I my English wasn't my first language, and I didn't even know how to read or write when I was got halfway through college. So I was dyslexic. So I never really learned how to read or write until I was about thirty. Uh-huh. And I still don't know how to write. I talk in my iPhone. And that gets transcribed. Oh, nice. The ideas are there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I sound fairly literate right now, right? Uh-huh. Like I could sit down and write a book. Well, I can't. 
Hmm. Uh, but I had a great team, and I had oh, a great yeah. publisher and editors, and so all of those people walk me through the Forest Garden Greenhouse. They mm-hmm. helped me, you know, organize it, and it was a very tedious, long, drawn-out process. Yeah. But we just submitted another proposal to Chelsea oh. Green for the second book, which will be the Outdoor Forest Garden. Oh, nice. I hope. Yeah. And now we've learned something. <laughs> uh, we've learned maybe, hopefully, that we can do it without, you know, bending over backwards. And, yeah. And we, I've learned uh, maybe, you know, I've got some of the the team that really helped me put it together coming back. Mm-hmm. I've got some new people on the team. I've got the, the same graphic artist, and Peter Bain is uh, willing to come oh, back and help me very out. Very good. Because he has lots of experience in writing and editing. Yeah. And so I think we're going to have a lot easier time putting this book out. And it's going to focus our 25, 30 years experience of forest gardening. Uh-huh. And some of our some other case studies, and some stuff on agroforestry and our livelihood programs. Uh huh. And cool. That's kind of where we're at now. We're just sort of in a working. Yeah. To figure out what where we're going to move the book. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Yes, that's so having the book out after all these years of doing. Uh huh. Because a lot of people you know, have written books, but they haven't done the actual forest garden. So, I mean, they've done some, but um, we've done it for 20 years, 25 years now. Yeah. Uh, But never had time to write the book or didn't have the (laughs) skills, right? Yep. But now we finally got that out out from under us and that feels really good. Yeah. I'll bet it does. Yeah. And it it does. It does help people buy the book. They write, write us an email. They Uh hire us to do consulting. You know, I went to Crestone, which is this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere, filled up a room, sold a case of books, sold a thousand dollars worth of plants out of our truck. Oh my gosh. You know, see, this is what, you know, when you've been on the ground for 25 years, yeah. uh, people finally start to wake up a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. I think if I go down to Basalt, uh, we came back and sold one plant at the farmer's market in Basalt, and I sold a thousand dollars worth of plants in Crestone, which is wow. just over the hill. So there, we we have some work to do here in Basalt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, in there the you go. It feels yeah. like Phoenix. There's a lot of work to do here in Phoenix. Yes. So, uh, well, it's the hamster wheel, you know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. We so, don't want to get on that one. So there, there's a lot of passion behind all of this. What drives it? What drives you? Well, when people take the, the permaculture design course, uh-huh. you know, it's an eye opener. It's you know, they've been doing bits and pieces of things, and and when when people get exposed to permaculture, it just it's like that sign that you that billboard when you go into Maine is the way it ought to be. You finally say, oh wow, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. And when I'm you know I'm here working, I never take a day off. <laughs> but there's always some breaks here and yeah. there. I'm I went up and painted the bottom of my boat. I'm going to be sailing. This summer, uh, I go up on a hike um, twice a week. I go mm-hmm. to the pool and soak. So I take some time off, but I never take a day off per se. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, you know, I take some time off to go shoot some arrows in the greenhouse. Uh, 
those I like the people that we have here now are really dedicated and talented uh-huh. and it's, it's great working with with the volunteers and, and a good staff that yeah. really is as excited about permaculture and this site as we are oh, yeah. as I am wow that keeps me going yeah I can tell I can tell so yeah. I'm all about education I have to know is there one book or a few books that have really inspired you in this process no there's so many uh, <laughs> Yes, you know, we start all the way back to Helen and Scott Nearing, and we started oh, yes. Fukuoka, yep. and, you know, the permaculture books. Uh, it goes on and on with, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking of, uh, I just drew a blank, but there, there are so many different authors yeah. that I have gleaned from. Uh, and Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, yes. At, Totally. Yeah. Those are some of my new kind of inspirations uh-huh. to reconnect with nature on a deeper yeah. level. And that's what I think permaculture people need to do is they need to spend more time in the woods. <laughs> yes. With headphones or with a, with a bike or anything, but yeah. just go up in the, in the woods and sit and be get off the trail and yeah. sit next to a stream and dream and and let let that environment that landscape you know permeate permeate right into your being and then yeah. uh, your being permeates out and you know, become one that's that's the key i think of you know your brain on forest well, there's a, forest there's time a new book out and i'm actually going to your brain on nature that's that's what I was trying to the think. Brain, I haven't read the book um, yet, yeah. but um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Your yeah. brain on nature. You know, that, those are the new kinds of yeah. the new stuff that I'm looking at is, you know, we have enough books out there on how to do it. Uh-huh. I think they're out there and there are textbooks there. And I like, I like uh, Eric's book. I think it's going to be a very valuable book. Yeah. Uh, in terms of moving people and moving governments maybe um, towards carbon farming and towards yeah. more permaculture perennial farming systems. Perfect. So and we need to do that. Oh. As a movement and yeah. as as the world, you know, we need to we need to start doing something. I also just finished uh, Bill McGibbon's book, The End of Nature. And oh, yes. you know, that was written in I you know I should have read that book uh, <laughs> years ago, but you know we haven't done anything to fix nature. Right. You know, we got tar sands has gone in. We you know we're blowing up mountains to get the coal. And most of the conferences we've had, uh, you know, haven't accomplished much. Right. You know, we have all these non-believers and global climate change, so it's an uphill battle. And but. That we're, you know, we're getting more CO two. Yep. Everything is just compounding. So we really haven't done anything to reverse it. So at some point we have to do that, or it's not going to last much longer. Right. And it sounds like that's what Eric's book is about. Yeah, I mean Perfect. we don't have much time, and uh, you know, I he's the first one that Bill McGivens, the first one I've heard talk about Bill, uh, John Hammaker's theory of the 
the coming ice age. And right. you know, John wrote that book back in the uh, 70s or 60s, I think it was called Survival of Civilization. Uh-huh. I remember and it. You know about that book? Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, you know, nobody wants to talk about the Ice Age coming. They want to talk uh-huh. about Hawaiian shirts and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, we're probably heading down that road. Yeah. And you know, better get your greenhouse ready. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, plant some trees. Plant yeah. some edible landscape. You know, I don't know why we can't get people to do that. And we need to get people to just start doing it. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Don't take another class. Just go out and buy some edible landscaping grocery and start planting perennial polycultures in your backyard. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what we need to do. Everyone needs to do a food forest in their backyard yeah. and we wouldn't have we wouldn't have problems. Everyone would be carbon farming in their backyard. We wouldn't you wouldn't have to go to the stores often. Yep. And um, that's that's my suggestion. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Jerome. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to the summer. We just we almost have fruit on everything this year. Nice. Uh, we just had a huge rainstorm, uh-huh. and you know how what happens after a rain? You could hardly get through. Uh, you have to <laughs> get the machete out. To oh yeah, exactly. Get through the lovage and the comfrey, and and if people want to learn more about Central Rocky Mountain permaculture, they can go to crmpi.org. Perfect. Or Jerome at crmpi.org to email us and learn about uh, our upcoming programs and a book, the uh-huh. book we're going to be doing and Perfect. the current book. And also, we have a newsletter that you can sign up for oh, and listen to our radio show. Perfect. So that's crmpi.org. Yes. Well, thank you very much. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Thank you very much. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. 
In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.